0: Everybody and welcome back for another episode of Magnum Reads. Join us on our vicarious voyage through the vague but vibrant verse of a vampire variant who violently and vigorously vitals on the vile, vicious, and villainous, with facilitating and vain visions of more vivacious and vociferous ventures. As per usual, I'm Spencer, and joining me are BJ and Sarah. How y'all doing?
1: I am vociferous this evening, Spencer, um, and very much ready for our vital conversation. Oh, you Simply call me V.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but in the vicissitudes of the various things that you could have um, put down, I think uh the voracious listeners will be very pleased with with what you have uh put
0: forth for us. Right, we're going to actively try to abandon V from here cuz I think we've done more than enough and get on to our story. Itself. I don't
1: huh? I think that we need to at least throw out and I'm really not sure if you used this already but the sort of vampiric nature. Oh yes,
2: indeed. I of yeah. this whole I, thing. Event- I mean Vampire we also beard. have a little bit of vivisecting.
0: Um, we have all sorts of fun things. This episode brought to you by the letter V. Sesame Street, we're expecting the check.
2: <laughs> Honestly, I feel like we need to do a little bit more of Sesame Street recognition. So
1: That's probably fair. Um, at some point, I will count something and then laugh maniacally afterwards.
2: This episode... Is, is this for the podcast or just like in general for your life? Just, oh. I'm just
1: in bed tonight. <laughs>
0: On discussing our short story that we're doing this week, we're doing Hungry... Which is what? (laughs) Hungry Daughters of Starving Mothers by Alyssa Wong, the 2016 Nebula winner for Best Short Story. Um, We read this this week, and uh, Sarah, I'm going to start with you for two things. One, you sent us a delightful picture of a drink that is so appropriate for this episode. I really want to know what it is.
1: Well, Spencer, it is black thoughts in a jam jar.
0: Topical. What is
1: it? Hmm. (laughs) So... Um, it is all of the horrible and evil plans that you have that stay in your brain okay. for most of the day that have been sucked out of you.
0: I appreciate that you read the story, Sarah. vomited back into
1: the jar. So um, it is, it, honestly, it's sort of, it's pretty much a classic martini, really. It is a vodka martini. It is vodka and vermouth. Um, but it is black vodka, which there are, are apparently some black vodkas on the market, but they have been disappearing rapidly, and some of them have been discontinued. I can't get any at my local ABC store. So I bought Tito's vodka, and I bought myself some food coloring. So that is what I did. There are many drops of red and green and blue in here to make it a sort of sludgy gray, quite honestly. It was supposed to be a little blacker than it is. (laughs) Um, I I like that
2: you went with like a very... I, and i'm I'm sorry, Josh, you're not going to listen to this, but it's fine. Um, a very Josh way of going through it. And it's like, well, you know, <laughs> computer programs just put red, green, and blue together to make black. <laughs> and so that seems reasonable.
1: Well, so there were a couple of methods to do it. Um, I could have gotten black food coloring, but they didn't have it at the uh, questionable food lion I went Ooh. to because it was next to the liquor store. You know it would be um, really
2: interesting. Hm. squid ink.
1: So I have seen recipes for using squid ink with it. Uh, shockingly, they did not have squid ink at the food line that didn't have the black food coloring. Um,
2: <laughs> I feel like there is a food line manager that you could talk to about this.
1: That, that. Well, that might be true. I also could have planned this drink <laughs> <sooner than laughs> That's four a lot hours of ago. <laughs> um, but you can, so you can use black food coloring. You can use food or you can use squid ink Um, you can use, apparently there's a way of doing it with black rice. Um, and you can also use activated charcoal, but there were a lot of warnings about that given sort of side effects that activated charcoal can have with Medicaid. Um, so I went for the food coloring route because that's Hmm. natural. (laughs) Um, and so it is my black vodka with vermouth and I threw in a little bit of lime juice just to spice things up a little bit. It is garnished with a couple of very writhing tentacles that are made out of red vines that, for some reason, Terry bought an entire case of, and then they moved with us over the course of, like, three houses.
0: (laughs) Are they still good?
1: Well, to be fair, they weren't good to begin with. Oh,
0: well, yeah, it's just red vines for you.
2: I mean, if it were Twizzlers, it'd be great, but...
1: (laughs) This was Terry's point today. Um, (laughs) So, no, they were bad, um, I didn't eat them. I garnished and I took a picture and then I promptly took them out and threw them in the trash can.
0: And the picture of this drink is just gorgeous and needs to be posted on our website, BJ, because <laughs> this thing is very much on point for what kind of what I imagine these things look like stored in this main character's fridge.
1: It's a little grisly.
2: Yeah. Um, I think that like a black version of Red Vines or, or Twizzlers would have been like even better, but it but it is, it is very good. We will definitely uh, post a picture of when possible.
0: All right. F- follow-up segment. Sarah, I'm going to also have you do your other segment now just because it leads naturally from yes. my... I enjoyed this story. I found it very interesting. Mm-hmm. I have not the slightest damn clue of what to make of it. And I'm curious <laughs> whether our various various readers on Amazon and Goodreads had a similar mindset.
1: Yeah, so I started out trying to do an outrageous Amazon review of this and then realized it was a short story and there wouldn't be Amazon reviews of it. So I went to trusty Goodreads. And um, just for context, this is very highly rated on Goodreads. It has a um, a... An average of 4.23 stars out of 5 with 52 ratings and 7 reviews. So I didn't have a lot of reviews to choose from. But to your point, Spencer, several of the reviews said explicitly, this was beautifully written, really loved it, don't know what's going on. Um, (laughs) So there's that. But the one review that I really wanted to flag as sort of baffling is... By a user um, named Jazz, who is rated at four stars, mm-hmm. um, and has simply written. So I have two things I want to talk about here. Um, there is the the actual review that they wrote, and then there is the 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 shelves that they have put it on in their sort of Goodread ecosystem that they've created, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the shelves are Sapphic, Gothic horror, women's lit, and people of color. Um, okay. And then the review itself is simply two sentences and it says a great short horror story. Women hunger, don't they?
0: What what? <laughs> what? That that's the point? Okay.
1: Um so yeah, I I don't that's that's what I've got to start with,
0: guys. I mean, is that so, just really really focusing on the sapphic point that she was starting with there? Or what what's this going with?
1: Well I guess so. And I guess that like the question that this brings up, apart from the obvious question mark at the end of this review. Um, that we will I probably talk about later is to what extent is this a sort of like specifically and explicitly gendered story? Um, or isn't it? And I don't know. I think we'll get there eventually. But like, I, we, I don't know what to make of a question that is just women hunger, comma, don't they? That's, who knows? I mean, the answer is yes. <laughs> but... <laughs> Clearly. So I guess we just move on from there. I
2: don't know. So I have a 1-star review from for for you guys from Amazon. Okay. Oh, from, from So what? From Amazon. From where on Amazon was this? Is this part of part of a compilation that was released? Um, no. Um but but I think it is very appropriate for the story that we're reading. Okay. They tasted horrible. Like they had a banana taste. The date was good, <laughs> but they also tasted stale.
1: This sounds like a trail mix review.
2: So when I googled Hungry Daughters <laughs> of Starving Mothers, oh God. my Amazon assistant suggested that I take a look at Prepperidge Farm Goldfish Crackers. <laughs> um, and and so I did, and I figured, you know, we have a one-star review section of the podcast, and so this seemed very
1: appropriate for, well, what horrible thoughts might taste like. Well, A, so I have two things. That's sacrilege. Goldfish are incredible. But D, some people decided
2: they taste like bananas. I have no idea.
1: That's I don't know what to do with that really. Um, but B, Spencer, this goes to a Whiskey on the Weekends thing. One of our other podcasts. Check out mangumtalks.com for all of our content. Something you said on Mangum or on Whiskey on the Weekends about Aldi. Go on. Well, you're wrong first of all um
0: start there all right
1: okay but like that doesn't have to be in
2: the context of aldi that's just like it could just be
1: blank spencer you're wrong um but i did want to point out and spencer you will never go to aldi to test me on this but there is a knockoff version of goldfish that is specific to aldi called penguin and they are so much better than goldfish
0: i have never even heard of those is that
1: Aldi only product I, I've only ever seen them at Aldi. I a hundred don't,
2: hundred percent do not believe you that it is better than Goldfish <laughs> because I'm going to, like I'm just gonna guess that like whoever probably Nabisco because they have pretty much everything, um, but like just produces penguin shaped Goldfish and or no, they actually farm. taste yeah. different. Oh really?
1: Yeah, they're sweeter.
2: That sounds gross.
1: I, I know it sounds gross. It's really not. They're okay, very good. And um, um, they're a little bit thinner than goldfish, so they have a slightly different texture, um, so, partially because you have to have more lines when you are stamping out a penguin than you do when you're stamping out a goldfish.
2: Of the many weird things that we're <laughs> going to end up doing uh, this New Year's, uh,
0: making Spencer I will eat Aldi penguins
1: s- is- Supply some penguins. <laughs>
2: high up on that
0: list.
1: You know- um. <laughs> I,
0: I, I feel like Aldi was very appropriate here to now extend into our story about a woman who throws up things into her fridge and then eats them. Um, so starting on the actual story, how about we go from there now?
1: Yeah, so let's do this first scene. This story is really told in kind of a series of scenes, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and we start out with this woman who we later find out is, learn- is named Jenny on um, a Tinder date. Mm-hmm. They... With a real lovely man.
0: Oh yeah, this guy never comes across well, and he only gets worse as the conversation goes on. Mm-hmm. He starts out just being a bit of an Ivy League douchebag who's self-absorbed and only really thinking about what he, where what 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 his penis can do before the evening is over. Um,
1: but it well, gets worse. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And so we learn pretty quickly that for some undisclosed reason, Jenny can. Hear slash see his thoughts. Yeah, it's. Is she like reading them over his head or something? So. Well, it's. A, I think they're sort of whispering, but it seems like we find out later that they're kind of embodied in some way.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess I kind of imagine them as tendrils that are also like whispering. Mm hmm. Um, sort of a
1: Medusa head kind of thing? Yeah,
2: kind of like a Medusa head. I kind of want to say that. Um, there are a couple of movies that have done things kind of like this I feel like Mm -hmm. Constantine had like a little bit of it Mm -hmm. Um, and there are some others Um, there's definitely so the image that it actually evokes for me is there's a thing in Robert Jordan's novels of a an evil wind that has like Mm. really creepy things that it sort of whispers Mm -hmm. Um, and that's sort of what it evokes for me. Um but but yeah, a little bit of like creepy whispering from movies with a little bit of fog, shadow stuff coming out. Yeah. Um and but I also wanted to say, do you think she can hear thoughts in general or just evil ones? But maybe that's something that we should address after we finish the plot.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would I would say initially like it seems like we we certainly only experience her hearing evil thoughts it it
0: almost seems like it varies just based on how precise the thought comes to her as because like with her friend Mm. slash semi-roommate slash maybe ex-partner she can detect like emotions or just general good feelings radiating from her but she never seems to get precise thoughts it's for these mm -hmm. evil thoughts or even like the distant leftovers of the evil thoughts that have been harvested she can hear those perfectly but so it seems like there's a certain element of um, detail that comes with them being evil or vile or whatever else. So what
2: I will say is that at least in, well, the copy that I assume you read since I sent out the website for it, um, we don't get the italicized uh, print that indicates oh, yeah. something that she sees in terms of thought or hears in terms of thought from any other perspective other than or any other thoughts other than the evil ones. And so I right. go, yeah. um, maybe
1: mm-hmm. um,
2: you never get that italicized text exactly, indicating yeah. that that that's what she's reading. It's, it's more of like maybe a n- more normal, like sense of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So it's
1: a, but, it's a, it's a paraphrase as opposed to a direct quotation.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. right. Um,
1: um and so in this first encounter with this sort of nutbag Harvey um, Harvard Harvard Harvey that went to re- Harvard it really <laughs> yeah. doesn't matter. Um we start out with some like pretty awful but like in the realm of normal awful mm-hmm. thoughts. Um
0: that's, a, that's such a horrible <laughs> phrase.
1: In the realm of well, normal
0: awful thoughts. Like yeah, well. that's what that is. Wow. Yeah.
2: Well, I guess like um, the other side of it is like I feel like Awful is a, a
0: bit far. I mean, originally, he's coming across as a douche. He's not necessarily coming across as a serial killer.
2: Yeah, well, but, but the other thing is just like, it, he comes across as a horny dude. Like, I, I feel like having it, having the perspective of like, he's a horrible person for like, sexual desires is, is just like a weird place to go with
1: it so i mean i don't this is beyond sexual desire this is misogynistic bullshit i mean this is objectification of jenny as a person this isn't just like a sort of feeling of sexual desire like the fact that this is written out in sort of specific words and quotations that are like actively treating her as an object like that goes beyond sexual desire
0: it's one of those things where I can write it off as of sexual desire if it's, like, this is the interpretation of an emotion he's feeling, but I don't think that's what the author's going for. I think reading this as being, like, this is a play-by-play narrative that's going through his head, and mm-hmm. that's really detailed and specific just to be sexual desire. Now, it's in his head, it's not literally sharing it, but still, this it it, it, it does not frame him in a good light to start off.
2: Yeah. I, like, I, I guess that sort of that's where it's just, like, a... I don't know exactly what the author was going for because this is sort of the only scene where we kind of get that. And it's kind mm-hmm. of, uh, I don't know, I guess, you know, I guess, Sarah, like, obviously you have a somewhat better perspective given... Um,
0: Finish that thought, BJ.
2: <laughs> your gender.
1: <laughs> and, and my own sexual proclivity <laughs> suggests that I am I might I might have... I, I have opinions about how men speak about women, Um, or at least how this portrayal is. I 100%
2: agree with you in terms of, like, speech, but it's just, like, if he doesn't say it.
1: Well, and this is the interesting thing, right? Because, like, what this does is this puts this whole thing in a very weird, shaky middle ground between thought and speech.
0: Right. To her, there is no difference. Right,
1: because it is externalized in some way, even though he doesn't know it's being externalized right. and read mm-hmm. um so you're you're totally right that there is you know there are differences between these sort of thoughts and acting on them and whatever but this is like getting into that weird my mi- miasma in the middle now i will say that i think i think i certainly read the thoughts differently knowing what <laughs> We're, two thoughts down happens right, right exactly and, um, and that's
2: i guess that's sort of what why i have like a he's the words are being judged in the context of how weird, crazy and gross this person is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and so I will say and this was going to be my last my last point up about it, but like we get the first sort of the first of Jenny's thoughts in response to his thoughts,
2: which is just gross. So, I guess Um
1: and that feels right.
2: I love the <laughs> juxtaposition. <laughs> ...of the next sentence, which is, gross, that sounds wonderful.
0: <laughs> and, you know, it's enough, from her perspective, that's... Both of those are perfectly accurate statements, because that is gross, but that's exactly what she's here for. Mm-hmm. She wants this gross.
1: She wants this vile. This is what she feeds on. So, both... Uh- Even though we are purportedly responding to a jacuzzi along the west wall... ...so that he can watch the sunset while he relaxes after getting back from the gym also gross <laughs> at this
0: point we have no idea what this character is and what she's here for and so from our perspective she's just being i don't even know if the words are exactly polite or just trying to end this as as uh, un- as uh, unpainfully as possible as she's already browsing tinder for her next date but as you guys said <laughs> the, the the first four thoughts go from perfect tits bitch she'll be begging for it to then immediately i can't wait to cut her up so it's a pretty rapid progression in this guy's mind as we start, yeah, yeah. As we start to descend into realization that, well, I mean, even she's caught off guard by this to the point it breaks her narrative. She suddenly acts to interrupt to ask his thoughts. Essentially, what? What? Hmm? You, <laughs> you just thought He's that? Re-
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. And
2: we get sort of a like weird shift between. Like, total disinterest, and I'll have what she's having, yeah. kind of, like...
0: I th- yeah. I thought you were going to be an hors d'oeuvre, but no, this is the main course I've been looking for. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, which is... I, I think that the way that this... Um, opening scene and the sort of back and forth between these kind of externalized thoughts that she's reading and her own inner monologue and the conversation that they are purportedly having out loud at this sort of shitty dinner date is kind of extraordinary the way that those play off of each other
0: yeah
2: yeah it kind of reminds me of um when sherlock i think it's sherlock sort of first the first season i want to say came out and they had, like, conversation and then interposed texting and, like, oh, how yeah. they right. did and how, like, mm-hmm. it played together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just sort of, like, a very seamless fitting it all together. And that's mm-hmm. kind of kind of how I imagine this um, yeah in terms of, like, how it plays out sort of in my head and, like, how that interaction sort of works between her... Like, having to engage sort of vaguely with what he's saying and then engage with the thoughts that are behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that the author does an incredibly good job of painting that picture in, like, 200 words. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is, like, a very short first scene. Um, and we end, we end that scene with... Jenny has gotten like suddenly very excited about what is going on here as soon as thing as soon as his thoughts turn like legitimately violent and um they end up leaving the restaurant together. Mm. Yep. Into his Tesla. Because yeah. Because of course.
2: Yeah, and so like I I feel like this is something that I've noticed happen sometimes that there are stories that are that date themselves and while this is current. It dates mm-hmm. itself. And I think that's a very interesting thing and that mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen it in a number of especially short stories. Um, and maybe I just don't notice it as much in older things because I don't get that same uh, place and time vibe from it. And there are some mm-hmm. that I do like in terms of like older science fiction and fantasy stories where it's just like, oh, that... Faxes being new is just such a very dated thing, um, or something along those lines, or, or ticker tape. I feel like ticker tape's the other like really big one in science fiction novels that is just like, oh, okay, well that's when this was written. Um,
1: yeah, I think it's it's an interesting point that you bring up because there is a, a like very active and ongoing conversation among sort of writing communities about particularly in the kind of moment that we are now and kind of, I would say, since maybe the early to mid-2000s, when specifically technology was changing so, was and is changing so rapidly, this Mm -hmm. question of how much do you use these types of devices or modes of communication or whatever to alternately indicate use them to indicate a specific period of time, a specific mode of communication, and I think you can use those to really interesting effects, not unlike you were talking about with sort of Sherlock using the text message side mm-hmm. by side with a speech, or is it sort of more pure to obviate the existence of given technologies to make a quote-unquote timeless narrative? Um, yeah, and I guess what I'm saying is like, I
2: feel like you could do it, in a way that is less specific Mm -hmm. um and like instead of saying like i you know she was going through tinder profiles like she used her phone to browse through online dating profiles or something give yeah give a different vibe in 10-15 years if tinder is no longer and feel like it might be on the way out but like Mm -hmm. if it's no longer as well known. I mean, sort of the same thing with Tesla. Presumably, they're going to be electronic vehicles, EVs, whatever, and they'll probably mm-hmm. still use sort of that parlance. But then it's no longer like the 2015 to I don't know 2020 whatever, where Teslas were like the pre the next Prius. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, I mean, I think
1: that's I think that's fair. I do think that, you know, there is a legitimate conversation and trade-off to be had about, like, whether you want it to be more timeless or you want it to be a sort of specific resonance with a specific snapshot in time. Yeah. Um Now, I do think, to your point about the difference between sort of short stories and novels, like, short stories end up having a little more leeway to be more specific and fleeting, potentially, mm-hmm. than a novel, simply because of the the commitment it takes to write, publish, the time commitment it takes to write, publish, find a readership for, um, and, consume and then it. continue, yeah, right, uh, yeah. for a novel as opposed to a short a short story. And, and um, so,
2: I mean, I guess, like, but my point is, like, I feel like you could kind of do a search and replace and change the story to five years earlier. And I feel mm-hmm. like it's just an interesting author choice. Like, mm-hmm. instead of, you know, if you replace Tinder with, like, Match.com and the Tesla with Prius, <laughs> it would be five to ten years earlier. Yeah. And that that's, like, kind of the only change that you would really have to
0: make.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably fair. I, I personally like the specificity, um, but I totally get what you're saying.
0: It's one of those things where, like, when I have the option, when I... Read Shakespeare, I like to read it with the historical annotations on the side. Of where it's a remarkably timeless mm-hmm. work, but at the same time, it was re- it was still being written for its audience because it needed to resonate with them now. And so, mm-hmm. I can still appreciate it when I'm provided that degree of guidance. But I understand that in au- a work can never become timeless unless it is finding its audience in that particular moment. So these little, sure. these little it- hmm?
1: Oh, I was going to say, and you can also have a production of Shakespeare that is Taming of the Shrew in 1950s diner culture.
0: (laughs) Or it's done by Joss Whedon. Uh, Yes. (laughs) um, It's it's, it's even fun to see that even the language of Shakespeare at times was built in based on what the accents were at the time. And so certain things don't Mm -hmm. resonate with us well because the accents have changed enough we don't get the dirty jokes that he was including for his audience. But yeah, every work has a certain degree of... um, topical efforts that are put into it because it needs the audience to appreciate it in that particular moment it's just a question of whether it builds enough of an audience then that it becomes the timeless effect thereafter at least that's my idea on it
1: i think that is absolutely fair i also think that we are a half hour into this podcast and 300 words into this story
0: oh so (laughs) par for the course all right second scene driving a Tesla. Like,
1: I feel like if you say par for the
2: course one more time on one of our podcasts, I'm going to make you play golf with Lee.
0: Okay, I'm okay with this.
2: <laughs> It'll help you and with I your don't know it's fine. Yeah, well, that's true too. Um, so the next scene that we essentially get is a very weird uh, sort of leaving the restaurant scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that... There are shortcuts that the author takes in some of the things that she does to paint a picture, which should not be analyzed in depth. Can Um, you
1: give an example of one, though?
2: So the first the first sentence in the next scene, which is the fucker has his own parking spot. Okay, Um, which is like it tells you it kind of exactly who this person in Mm -hmm. Manhattan is. Mm -hmm. But it also is just like. So he parked outside the restaurant and like didn't use a valet service or like, what do you mean he has his own parking spot? I presume that she's talking to about he has his own parking spot, like near his building or something like that. But like it just which means he can own his own car. Yeah, right. But that's not how cars really work in Manhattan all the time. And so anyway, it's it's a very evocative statement that on very close analysis kind of falls apart and it's sort of one of those things that that like i notice and try and do my best to be like okay like the author is doing a really good job of telling a story it doesn't need to hold up to how people own cars in manhattan and what would make the most sense to line up with that in like in this story
1: and here is the venn diagram of quibbles with <laughs> quibbles our with short story and, and and quibbles with harry potter yeah and and
2: probably a couple of other things which i notice and sure. Sarah, you're just like i seriously like, like what does that st- have to do stop with anything with the my story <laughs> exactly
0: so they're driving in a uh, car
1: yes thank yes. you spencer
0: uh and she asked to pull over because are we assuming that she's in some way faking this or is she legitimately drunk and needing to throw up right now? She, I assume that she was just trying to get him into this alley right now.
1: Yeah, I think she's...
0: Yeah. So. Um,
1: although we do see her, like, feeling nauseous at various other story. Mm.
2: Right. So I, I guess I wonder if it's sort of a combination of, um, like, if you feel really hungry, you can be nauseous. Mm-hmm. And so, I, to me, I guess this paints a picture of, like... There's something supernatural about her. But there's also something very natural about her. Like, they probably didn't really eat much, and she did talk about, like, a second bottle of champagne being part of their dinner. Yeah. And so she was kind of picking at her food, and they already went through a bottle of champagne, but she really wants to do something with these, like, evil thoughts. And so I feel like the nauseousness, like, to me, talks about... like an intense hunger, but also that she's kind of drunk.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that might be true. I when I was first reading this, and I hadn't necessarily quite picked up on how like legitimately excited she got in the first scene. I really thought that she was faking it to just get out of the situation. Um, that she, for whatever reason, could read his thoughts, mm-hmm. and then like was trying to figure out, okay, I need an exit. so <laughs> I get away from this nutball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um case. Um, I, <laughs> I,
2: I think that speaking to that, how the author uses the first person as and uses the like the verbs I lurch into an alley and I slur as mm-hmm. it feels like a choice mm-hmm. rather than I slurred right. or I lurched into an alley. Right. Yeah.
1: She's yeah. not just finding herself there. Mhm. Um so Spencer. What happens down in this alley? Well,
0: she vomits in the alley. He, with his his angry thoughts, comes up behind her, annoyed about the circumstance. And as he approaches her, pondering whether he's going to make her insides all pretty everywhere, <laughs> she turns the tables on him, launches herself at him, and with a process that isn't... Dr- I'm not clear what the visual of this is. Essentially latches onto his mouth and begins to consume a part of him essentially, absorbing these evil thoughts and emotions and in effect sucking him dry. Um
2: So Spencer, I have a question. Mhm. Do you like fa?
0: I'm I'm aware of it, but I haven't had it enough to really say much.
2: Interesting. Okay. Cuz so and and Sarah, I'm just making assumptions about you given who you're married to, but Viscous as a boiled tendon is very evocative for me. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that that means a particular thing. (laughs)
2: And and so I I feel like, at least for me, it's familiarity with a very specific set of cuisine. And Spencer, given how we've talked about on, on mostly other podcasts about like, your food consumption. I was wondering if that was similarly evocative to you or if that was just interesting language.
0: For me most of this was interesting language. I didn't have the uh, kind of cultural appreciation. Okay. Because
2: gotcha. I mm-hmm. well, uh, Sarah, I, I should ask you, but like did that also have like a I know exactly what this means.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um yeah, and I think it is it is tying back and this goes back, I think to the shelves of this Goodreads review that I didn't really understand. Um, but like we are we are referring back to sort of particular cult- cultural touchstones at this point.
2: Right. Um, and I feel like this is sort of the first taste that we get that this is... Yuck. Thank you. The first taste that we get that this is an Asian American story.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's absolutely true. This could have been this was a sort of like non racialized story before this, except potentially with the sort of references that Harvey was making about himself. Yeah.
2: Um, and and uh, to me, this is like one of the first places that like the touchstone that I have for this evocative statement of like what these dark thoughts came out as and like how they felt like a viscous uh boiled tendon that the touchstone that i have was that cuisine anyway Mm -hmm. so spencer you look go ahead and continue with your uh, description of how she drew out these uh, viscous tendons of evil thoughts from, from Harvey.
0: I mean, I, I do love her descriptions, even if I didn't get a, did as, get as much out of them as you guys did. But the viscous as a boiled tendon is certainly evocative, and the fact that she feels mm-hmm. decadent and filthy afterwards is an interesting way of describing it too. But after she, you know, pulls these evil things, these dark parts out of Harvey, uh, and he's left just feeble at her feet. An interesting thing happens, which is, again, this story feels like there's a lot going on, there's a lot that's being talked about that I'm curious to discuss with you guys as to what it means to represent, but her act of doing this means that she essentially takes his form, that he's left there laying helpless at her feet, but absorbing his dark thoughts means that her physical form changes, her limbs elongate, she grows to exactly resemble him to the point that she can match him to drive back into his, uh, his building. As she proceeds to get news, to throw him into a dumpster, uncaring about whether he's alive or dead. That's not her goal here. And then drive his car back so that she can then take, essentially, what, an Uber home? A taxi home? I don't remember exactly. Um, remember that it says...
2: Uh, I think she yeah. continues in the Tesla for, for a bit. Um, but she I goes feel back like, to his apartment. Yeah, she, yeah. she goes
1: back
0: to his apartment to essentially return the car. Yeah. Um, but So... Yeah.
2: Oh, then she chased the train back.
0: Yeah. Um, So she's very
2: much a, what if an emotional vampire was Kirby?
0: (laughs) Was Kirby, you said?
1: Yes. (laughs) Okay.
0: Fair point. That's Um, interesting way of putting it.
1: So my question to you both at this stage of the story. So when you were reading this for the first time, when we got these two scenes with this woman who clearly has some sort of supernatural power to read evil thoughts and to suck those out of people, and she is on the state with this guy who is apparently like exceptionally evil in some way, mm-hmm. and she proceeds to suck his thoughts out of him and take on his form. Like, what? I, where did you think this story was going?
0: Uh- at this point, I was just along for the ride, because every assumption had already just been thrown out. The title alone gave me no hints what this story was going to be about. And from here, I was like, oh, this can going to be a relationship story. Oh, this is going to mm-hmm. be a dark horror story. Oh, this is going to be a different kind of horror story. All right, I'm not going to have any assumptions going forth. Let's see what comes. So I guess I read it
2: at this point as a sort of dark, urban, feminine empowerment horror story mm-hmm. um, I assumed that th- there would be a lot more of the same for yeah. for the for, and like it would have some sort of twist or something along those lines um, I guess I sort of expected like a little bit more of the same and then maybe like she found a guy that had like these evil thoughts but was essentially like in therapy or something along those lines and you know what she thought who she thought was like a psychotic murderer was just like essentially a pleasant normal dude and then has to deal Mm -hmm. with that or something you know um something along those lines in terms of like how it would progress and then a twist of some sort to finish it Mm
1: -hmm. the
0: book defied you in that regard and that made me very happy.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I thought reading these first two scenes, I thought not dissimilar from from kind of what you were thinking, BJ. I thought we were in a sort of vigilante justice tale. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are not. No. That gets that gets thrown on its head pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. Pretty much immediately when we meet her, we meet her roommate. Or it's not a roommate. It's a friend that lives in her building.
2: No. Not even in her building. It's no. it's a friend that that we Who get this all sorts of overtones and a lot of, none of the we get all sorts of connotation and no denotation yeah
0: that's mm-hmm. a very accurate way of putting that Where there's a lot mm-hmm. of subtext without very little actually said to confirm anything of what's going on or what anything was going on
2: yeah so basically there's this girlfriend that is at her house making her food
0: has a key she, still yeah. yeah
1: which you could you could give to just a friend in the world sure sure yeah. Or you could give it to someone else. Unclear. <laughs> um, yeah, but this this friend is a, a professional chef and caterer um, and has come over to cook Jenny dinner. Pretty um,
0: pretty normal course of events, apparently.
1: Mm-hmm. Um... um <laughs>
2: Well, normal, like, I feel like this is a little bit abnormal, but like, this is sort of like a friendly thing that this person does for Jenny. And we also start to get the sense that this person is just a good person. Right. That Mm -hmm. they're part of a church and do nice things for people. And they're, they are the, if you wanted to put together a stereotype of a good person this is sort of the person that you'd get and i go ahead spencer yeah
0: I've, i was gonna gr- agree with you there's such an orgy of evidence that this person is just utterly pristine i was assuming this book was going to defy that at some point
2: and i want to circle back to that point mm-hmm. once we get to the end <laughs> yeah yeah um,
1: um but you know the i mean because we are told this story from jenny's perspective sure we also get the sort of the the specific feelings that Jenny has for this person, that she doesn't necessarily articulate, but come at us in a sort of sensory overload um, in terms of what she feels about and around Aiko.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, like, there are some, of, some very interesting descriptions that give this story depth that is unexplored. Mm-hmm. And so the... Um, I don't make bodily contact. Aiko thinks that I have touch issues, but the truth is she smells like everything good in the world, solid and familiar, both light and heavy at the same time. And it's enough to drive a person mad. It's such a great description and gives an unexplored depth to the story and the character of Jenny that's never really filled out. I mean like it maybe is a little bit towards the end of the story but like it's never filled out and but I feel like it tells a lot more about what Jenny is as sort of like the like it starts to unfold as to why eldritch thing that that Jenny is or am, amongst other people.
1: Yeah, and I feel like the the kind of key adjective there that is left as a kind of just Big, empty, interesting space is that, uh, that term familiar, right? What is familiar hmm. and comforting? Because we get a little bit of background into, um, right. into Jenny's home life as a child, but like that's actually very sketchy, what we end up getting, and we will get there in a minute um but that's never fleshed out we don't get a real sense of what her childhood was like Mm-mm. um that might suggest whatever it is here that is familiar
0: yeah we we get a certain degree of implication that uh Aiko and Jenny have been together or been friends for a very long time that Aiko apparently mm-hmm. knows her mom quite well and her mom knows her quite well and they have their own opinions about each other but it's never really explained or gone into any further as you said the story exists in We're getting little blips among vast voids, and that makes it fascinating, if at times frustrating, as to what we're meant to get out of it at all.
1: Yeah. And And one of those... Oh, go ahead, BJ.
2: Well, I was going to continue with the plot, but... Oh, I was too. Okay.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, and one of those blips that we get in this conversation is Aiko telling Jenny that um, her mother wants her to come home to Flushing.
0: Which is in Queens, I think? Yeah, that sounds great. I think think it's... Um, I'm Googling this. One sec. So but i i think
2: it's also interesting and in, in like the modern and not modern parts that this story has um and again this is sort of like my very specific like kind of knowing things um but we also get a little bit more of a sense of who aiko is and it's like this is where we get like come come with me to church sometime like there are plenty of nice guys there like stop playing around on tinder like you
0: mm-hmm.
2: clearly like something about it is like they're like you attract really bad dates and uh, it's jenny's response of like maybe i'm too weird is it's sort of one of those like uh almost straight man lines of just like Well, like, I I have no idea why I attract those really weird
1: people.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, It couldn't
1: couldn't possibly be that I'm looking for dead eyes in profile pictures.
2: Right. And so, like, this is very much like a sort of winking at the audience thing. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. Yes, that's absolutely
2: true. Um, And then we get a little bit of the um, leaking out. Of Harvey and and Mm -hmm. sort of the the evil thoughts that are calling to her Mm -hmm. Um, and and then we sort of get her going back to normal life in the next scene and sort of how what she is and how she deals with it like is part of her daily life I guess or part of her normal life. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah she starts going out on dates with other sort of douchebaggy figures um, but we start getting this kind of sense that something about the l- the fact that Harvey was an actual killer slash potentially serial killer um, has kind of ruined her for like everyday evil-ish thoughts, right? Mm-hmm. None right. of those are satisfying to and her And we also anymore. get
2: that this is really what sustains her because she's lost weight yes. and she looks... Yep emaciated and and I notices this about mm-hmm. her so this coming over and cooking her dinner is like a regular enough thing that she notices but a not regular enough thing that it's a slow progression that she doesn't get right
1: right and it also suggests that the coming over and cooking her dinner is not the type of nourishment that she needs mm-hmm um, and so she ends up going back to flushing Spencer where is flushing
0: it's in Queens Okay. <laughs> uh, one of the things that makes it interesting, too, is we were kind of working into the assumption throughout the story in terms of describing it that she consumes vileness in people, that she, that's what she really feeds off, that's what nourishes her, but she is directly drawn throughout all these scenes to consume Echo, even to the point where she's repeating in her own mind lines that Harvey was saying, as if they're no longer just Harvey's, but they're actually hers. Like, when she's isolating herself, trying to cut herself from there, she thinks to herself, I can't wait to cut her up. As her own thought. Mm -hmm. No longer Harvey's. I mm -hmm. think that's, so I guess I interpret
2: that as like a wistfulness about a good meal more than like, or to distract herself from a better meal in front of her, rather than her own thought.
1: Oh, I think it serves a dual purpose. I think it does both of those things. And I think that she might not be specifically aware of the fact that at least part of that thought is directed towards Aiko. But I think that that I I as a reader interpreted interpreted it as being sort of duly directed.
0: I mean th- this book really likes to play with role reversal. It is demonstrated with just the visual of the fact that upon yeah. consuming these people, she becomes them. She is she physically, whatever else, even shares their memories. And they stay with her in these jars. These jars are embodiment of them, like when we say with her mother, that will stay with them forever. So there's definitely an element here of she's consuming vile people, but she's a certain she is very much that thing herself in some ways, or at least is keeping those elements of those people that she's brought into and made part of herself forever after.
1: And she goes she goes back to flushing, back to the source of... Well, so first she
2: cuts I go out of her life. Yes, she does. Like she, yes. well, kind of ghosts and shuts her out. And that's where the I can't wait to cut her up comes in. Mm-hmm. And now that she's sort of isolated herself, then she goes back to flushing to her mother.
0: We've seen that she can consume people other than murderers, that she can survive just on douchebags, even if it's more gray than black. (laughs) Um, Is this an an indication that she can effectively eat on anyone, but just some are that much sweeter? I mean, could Aiko actually be a meal, or do we just not really get how this works? Hey, Spencer, Mm
2: -hmm? how do you feel about Soylent?
0: uh, The... Okay, uh, it is a perfectly edible, it is a perfectly calorie rich way to eat.
2: I feel like the the douchebags and unpleasant people of uh, the
1: hipster grad students, yeah,
2: yeah them uh, are, are soilent compared to like an actual <laughs> meal.
0: What a wonderful way to refer to a human being! You are the soilent people. I mean, oh my God. it
2: is boring. It, you know, it is like. Uh, the general populace of Manhattan. So I
0: I find it interesting (laughs) that Eiko, despite what we've previously been indicated, does not seem to represent the same traits as Harvey has now the same draw in her mind, the same intoxicating scent and everything. But
1: yeah. And that's, that's a sort of thing that, that we will talk about throughout the story, but kind of to your, to your question, Spencer, I feel like her, the, her draw is an indication that we don't quite understand what's going on here.
2: Yeah. Okay. And, Something I definitely want to return to once we go
1: yeah. through. Oh, sure the uh, plot.
0: Flushing. Um, so, we're in Flushing.
1: What do we learn in Flushing?
0: Uh, her mom's kind of... Do we treat her mom as a recluse, essentially? Is she just living uh, in a world of yes. her own memories, a cage of her own design?
1: That's certainly all we see. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like, uh, I see something sort of between an overprotective parent slash vague hoarder slash uh, damaged psyche. Mm-hmm here but Um, we
1: certainly kind of get all of those things are true um i think all of those things are true but we i i certainly get a sense of like i i don't i can't i could not tell you the last time it seems like she left this apartment it
0: it almost reminds me of like a dark mirror of going to visit an elderly person's home of where the walls and shelves are just full of memories of a life lived but life no longer really going on it's just dwelling on the past in her case, her being a hunter and maybe murderer, it's a life lived but through the but through the jars of her victims and their thoughts still radiating through at the place. I can only imagine just I mean this is normal I guess enough for Jenny, since that this is the life that she has lived, but she still seems very uncomfortable with going home just because of the nature of this place and the fact that her father's also in one of these jars.
1: Well, and he's not really one of these jars. He Um, lingers in a different way. Because what? Yeah, what we we learn so we don't learn the details, but we learn that something different happened to Jenny's father.
0: What he was effectively completely consumed with nothing left behind in a different way than most of these victims.
1: And they talk about it as sort of an accident, which is interesting. Um, But yeah, it seems like his spirit is sort of floating among the jars in some way. Um, but he that he was consumed in a way that whoever these other kind of lovers were, quote unquote lovers, um, quote unquote mentors were.
0: Damn it all the hell! Uh,
2: <laughs> so um, when you so when you say lovers, like I, I guess I don't read it like that.
1: I mean that's the terminology that the story uses. Okay. And so I'm just borrowing that terminology. Like no, I don't think that they're lovers. I mean she is consuming a part of them, but she like Jenny specifically references them as her mother's lover
2: it, 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 it. like jenny would reference her dates as her lovers like i, I guess yeah. i feel like that's a similar thing but also spencer you need to yeah, i'm to not sagamore. gonna explain
1: it i'm just telling you the terminology
2: yeah i year. feel like sagamore hill kind of reminds me of this uh of jenny's mother's house mm-hmm. um so it's teddy roosevelt's house uh that he lived in until he died and has like tons of his hunting trophies and things like that. And it has like a very weird feel, kind of like how I imagine this Jenny's mom's house feels like a lot of essentially her kills and conquests just sort of like pressing in right. on. Exactly.
0: It, it's very interesting, it's wonderfully described scene as she's walking these halls, which were just full of the usual knickknacks of life. But these thoughts of, like, touch me again, I'll swear I'll kill you, I hope her ugly chink daughter is not the time, they're just radiating through her, a, a cruel cacophony of many familiar voices, she describes. And then her, it, And yeah. our, our introduction to the mom is, you know, she's huddled by the kitchen, there's a laptop with a blue glow on her face, and she turns to her daughter and says, I made some, do you know what this dish is, The either of you, ni, ro, I so mean, so it's a noodle you know. dish. Yeah. Sure. I um but doesn't really matter. Other than that. Pizza, the follow-up. Yeah. It's on the stove, your baba's in there.
1: Which like okay. Uh, okay.
0: <laughs> this is alright. Yeah. And as she proceeds to get a plate And eat it, and it is the memories of her father that are now reverberating through her. It's like,
1: and it's interesting, and and in that process, she feels the need to continue to tell her mother that it is that it is good, that it is like we get another one of these scenes of the uh, parallel and differing narratives that her internal monologue is giving us as opposed to what she is telling her mother in the moment.
0: As she essentially sees the memories of her father's life from some of the earliest through the moment of his death when apparently he struck her and her mom in a moment of anger and protectiveness consumed him whole. Mm -hmm. And then they talk before the mom's concerned and knows pretty much exactly what her daughter has done and why it's going to hell. As the daughter admits that she consumed a killer and the mom had warned her that That's something you can never really come back from. You've tasted the sweetest thing. You've looked into the uh, mirror of Ezra And now (laughs) this is something you can never fully escape from.
1: Yeah. And she gives a a sort of warning too this sort of what happens if you lose control and you, and this is, I think a sort of significant moment. What if you take a bite out of Echo, Hmm. right? Which is this sort of crossing of these two worlds and, and her mother's acknowledgement of something anyway. Yeah.
2: And, I feel like it's kind of like I can help you through this if you stay with me, mm-hmm. but there's mm-hmm. also the like, and then you will become like me, right?
0: That her-
1: yeah, and there's the question of like, is this really on the level, or is this a bargaining chip because she wants Jenny to stay with her? Uh, yeah, it's anyway, right?
0: It seems to be the philosophy that she's lived by, because Jenny talks about it, it's the philosophy that her mom taught her, and that she seemingly mm-hmm. lived like the she was home that. She's effectively rejected this by moving out of the house. So it may just be this is the only way her mom knows how to live, and the only way that she can know mm-hmm. to help her. She has no other perspective on how differently they can go about the uh, very unique nature of their lives. And to a certain degree, it seemingly worked for her because Jenny talks about she has no idea how old her mom is, and they live—they can live a very long time. Sure.
1: Um, it is... If we don't necessarily want to talk uh, more about the interaction specifically in this apartment, it is significantly at the on the return journey from this um, this trip to Flushing that Jenny meets a um, pivotal figure
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: a- in a this metric. story.
0: <laughs> just, just say it, B.J. You don't even want to say it. You were going to say it right there. Go on. <laughs>
2: Oh, I did. She, she's she's it's, mentoring
0: her to the next stage in control. her life. Okay, so yeah. we're accepting it applied to this character. Fine. Okay. Great. Well, the, well, Spencer's mentor. Um, <laughs> My version of the term.
1: Exactly. <laughs> but air quotes are happening all around in this audio. Yeah. <laughs> medium. So,
2: <laughs> Seo Yun, I'm gonna guess. Sure. Um. Immediately. Basically, right is is sort of the new flavor of the month that that entices jenny in to go out with her and maybe she's another one of the interesting people that she can harvest some uh evil thoughts from um
1: and we get um
0: we're going well we're going to the dinner date now i suppose
1: yeah i don't know what to do with this so they're they have a dinner date
0: and it's weird
1: it's really weird um,
2: I also feel like this, This to me, is very of, of a specific time. You know, it's very like there are specific Japanese restaurants that are kind of like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also super weird because while Jenny does have a fairly Americanized name, she is very clearly of Chinese descent. Second generation.
1: Yeah, I would say she was is probably second gen, yeah.
2: I um, would... Well, when you say second generation, like, her mom probably emigrated. That's what, Yeah, yeah. mom's the first generation. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: So, um, like, the, just sort of everything about this is a little bit, like, of specific time and place and very Manhattan Asian and sort of all of those fun things combined. And then gets into the uh, horror dark side of things.
1: Yeah, and so we start out, like, with a lot of descriptions about how nervous Jenny is. Um, and this is partially because, like, she senses something in Seo young And partially because she still seems to have these sort of, like, Harvey-like thoughts kind of mm-hmm. emerging from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's kind of fumbling. <laughs> she's kind of fumbling, this whole thing. Um, but they get... I guess, sort of to the end of this date and or i'm sorry it's not even to the end of the date they get kind of in the middle of it and seo Yun sort of turns the tables on her yeah
2: yeah. so before that i guess i think it's very interesting that we don't get seo Yun's thoughts but we do de- get a very descriptive co- paragraph
0: of the the evil thoughts that are behind her we never get see on thoughts we really only get a description of their malignancy Uh, Mm -hmm. i mean she has a one lovely description at first i've never met someone whose mind is so twisted so rich and malignancy is well developed and finely crafted as the most elegant dessert we get all we get those descriptions constantly the gnarled mess of ancient ugly thoughts but unlike with harvey they're never actually vocalized They're never never italicized and written down. It's just through these evocative descriptions.
1: Mm -hmm. And that seems to be a sort of function, at least, excuse me, at least as we get eventually of of Suryan's control in some way. Although it's not clear from the beginning that that is necessarily what's happening. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, Um. it's almost like it's playing out in the same way that that Siyun is now seeing it too. Where all of Mm -hmm. Jenny's thoughts are just plain and detailed and shown to the world. While her own are measured, controlled, and with just kind of like an aura radiating from them, which is, mm-hmm. as she reveals, mm-hmm. is very much how she's perceiving this conversation of when she co- and well, she turns the tables on Jenny and Nas, Yeah. So I'm curious who's ICO? and the entire conversation changes.
1: And I have to admit, I was at work when I was reading this, and I like audibly gasped
0: hmm.
1: <laughs> at this moment. <laughs>
0: I was perceiving there was gonna be something deeper to this character, and I kind of thought maybe we were going to meet, meet someone eventually like her. But again, the story just consent- continually had me uncertain what it was about and where it was going. I just couldn't be even certain of that. Person. But
2: Yeah, hmm. and so, like, essentially, in, what is it,
1: three sentences,
2: mm-hmm. we blow the story open.
1: It's a, a like, 180-degree turn. Yeah. Of what I thought we were doing here. And we've already done, like, a 180-degree turn. Um, I mean, even So I don't know. We're on a different fucking planet at this point. Even down,
0: yeah. even down to the date itself, this is a very carefully picked restaurant where the waiters are very much aware of who Sion is. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, this is very much a... I'm not stuck in here with you right. you're stuck in here with me this, yeah scene
0: this is very much and very much a grooming kind of moment is it really as it turns out and develops right as a good mentor should mm-hmm. I, okay. I like you both imbra- <laughs> i really enjoy that you two have embraced the term after mocking me with it for the last eight episodes it's great i'm enjoying this
1: we're still we're still mocking you with it spencer well
0: i know you are but now you're also using it <laughs> contextually
1: it can serve um, multiple, fo- multiple purposes. Yeah, so
2: basically what we get is that Seiyun is very much of the same, I feel like species is very much the wrong word, but like of the same lineage or yeah. whatever that whatever Jenny is, and her mom yeah. is. Um, but she has come to a different conclusion. hmm a different way um, of life. Which is, and, is
1: more, and is more developed in that conclusion.
2: Sure. Yeah. She's living a life. Well, well, at least very much more than Jenny is.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I mean, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, which basically is, your mom taught you how to survive in the world, but that's not all there is. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. enjoy your meals. <laughs> survival is insufficient. <laughs> hey
0: <laughs>
1: Um,
2: Yeah, she's going to be assimilated. It's fine. Mm. Um, so... I don't
1: know, Sarah. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, I, 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 was gonna make another Station Eleven reference, but um, you know, we have this interesting conversation about with um, Seo Yun sort of explaining her a little bit about her kind of philosophy we have her talked about de vie. Hmm. her defeat, her aju, as it were. Yeah, well, a
2: little bit of both.
1: <laughs> um, And sort of trying to bring Jenny over to her her side. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think we get the impression that Jenny is, um, despite the fact that she is initially opposed might even be too strong a word for this, but, like, closed off, potentially, to this option, we also get the sense that she is just, like, fundamentally tired and hungry. Right. Um, And that is specifically related to the philosophy of survival that her mother has taught her, that now she has experienced um, the fulfillment that a killer's thoughts can give her mm-hmm. and has, like, fundamentally wrecked her system. Yeah.
0: I mean, initially it seems like she's just re- recoiling away from Zion just on the basis that she feels violated that this is a person that could actually read her the same way she's always been reading everybody else. As well as almost a mm-hmm. bit of damaged pride that she's saying, well, you're projecting like a child. And she just had no conscious idea that, that other people could perceive her in that manner. And, yeah. and at the same time, she's she clearly knows what she's rejected. She's rejected her mother's life. She's rejected this idea of just simply surviving and constantly being hungry, but persisting. But she has no alternative. She has no way of really coping with this world that she's built up or understands. And now someone's throwing her a lifeline of a world of leisure and luxury. Yeah, she's going to she's gonna jump on that.
1: And Sirian specifically... I mean she gives a, like a a sale pi- sales pitch oh, yeah. and some samples right <laughs> she calls over this waiter who um Jenny has already recognized like interestingly has their evil thoughts kind of bound around their wrist like a some sort of bracelet or ornament or something like that like a
0: cow tag. um
1: and the yeah and the waiter he brings out a dish of something
0: You you two cook a lot better and a lot more often than i do how did you perceive this object that is on this plate i have um, a very
2: specific dish that i associated with that's this what with. i was hoping for what is it um there's a i think it's usually called like preserved beef slices i think but it um, is a very chinese appetizer that's like it's cold it's sliced it's spicy it's Mm -hmm. sour it's a little sweet but it is very something and it's also it's almost i would equate it kind of to a like a french terrine Mm -hmm. um but with very chinese flavoring but it's very much like a, a chinese dish and there, there are a couple of other ones that also, like, were brought up in my head. There's, like, a sliced pig ear dish and, and things like that that are just, like, this is what I think was brought out, and it comes off in slices, and you eat it. And, and it doesn't have quite the flavoring that might be described, <laughs> but... Um,
1: well, and this is... This is such a fascinating description because overlayered on top of what we get here are the previous descriptions that we have gotten of the sort of eyes and mouths and voices of um, these kind of evil thoughts as Jenny has experienced them in their sort of like raw, uncooked, natural state mm-hmm. as they emerge from people. And this yep. is... This is and those malice
2: and childhood... Childish joy
1: Yeah They are They are prepared Into a cuisine here Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have The translucent fans um, Or Translucent slices Fanned out across the plate Pale and glistening With malice Bisected eyes glint Mouths caught Mid snarl From every piece I mean this is Like Familiar As you were saying BJ Kind of familiar Dishes Transformed Into Art yeah, and using these these voices as the main ingredients, which is fascinating, and the descriptions as they are laid out is, like, masterfully done. Yeah,
0: it, It's auteur cuisine, and she can barely even control herself And what this just opens up to her as she starts to consume these things. Mm-hmm. I, mean, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's... If, if the dishes you were talking about, BJ, in any way taste like gasoline, malice, and childish joy, I don't want to have no. them.
2: No, they, they very much don't. They're delicious
0: but <laughs> well she seems to think so too
1: yeah
2: yeah no <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: well
1: um and so we get we get these extended descriptions of her kind of coming to a new understanding of what this can be right mm-hmm. um and oh, uh seo yun's sort of toying with her in that process mm-hmm. let me introduce well you to this.
2: i feel like toying with her is kind of like Spencer calling people mentors like there's a very like overt sexual like relationship that that they essentially start engaging at this point of like let me convert you to the sexy dark side.
1: Yeah no I meant toying in like the sexual connotations that okay one might
0: associate with it, yeah. There's definitely, I mean, I I detect definitely undercurrent of being a predator about this, too, like of a cat toying with a mouse kind of thing, of where, Mm -hmm. come, play with me, it'll be fine. There's no possible risk to you down the line from this. Um, But I find it interesting as well that, like, the last, I think now two chapters before this, the last thoughts we hear from Jenny are a direct quote, again, from Harvey, of where she, again, returns to the always italicized phrases of, we'll have so much fun. As she goes and mm-hmm. takes the cab and enters the new world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um,
2: and then essentially we get her like vague uh, divorce from like her normal life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And so... We
0: just jump two months.
2: Yeah, we jump two months. But essentially like she's moved in with Seo Yeon. Like yeah. she's moving out of... She's now in the act of moving out of her apartment when... Aiko shows up and sort of is just like, hey, like, I haven't heard from you. What's going on? And she's like, oh, hey, I met this new woman and we're, like, hanging out a lot and I'm gonna move into her apartment in Chelsea. Um, which is just a very... It's an awkward scene. And it's yeah. mm-hmm. it's sort of, like, forced awkwardness and Alyssa Wong does a very good job of making that very evident. Mm-hmm. That this is this is like the high school sweetheart that you're saying that you're moving in with your abusive boyfriend kind of scene
0: yeah there's a very painful line of just casting another person of when she you know is just trying to connect with her because she's seemingly not even seen her for now months on end and she keeps rebuffing each of these efforts even rebuffing Iko trying to say you know your mom's calling me she really worried about you and or make her thinks to herself, Aiko is small and humble. Her hands smell like home, like rice flour and bad memories. How could I have ever found that appealing? It's just such a brutal cast off of another character that makes already awkward scene that just more painful. As She just so casually throws her off like an old coat and then goes off to this party that's been built up in her mind.
2: And I feel like that some of what she says and what and what is written is very much like a she's convincing herself. Yes.
0: Mm
1: hmm yeah it's a conscious rejection of and whether that is a sort of entirely a turn towards this like new life and new experience that seoyeon is giving her or whether it is in some measure and i would argue that it probably would is a protective measure towards aiko despite kind of what jenny is telling us in this specific scene um it is there is a lot of self-delusion happening.
0: I, I yeah, I agree, and it's it, it seems to be built around a conscious. She's now associating Echo with her mom's lo- way of life and that part of herself that she's mm-hmm. consciously rejecting to build this new identity. So there's a certain element of willful delusion that's being put into this to make it happen. But
2: mm-hmm.
0: we cut to the party.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Sarah, it feels like you really want to talk about this party.
1: I really don't. <laughs>
0: I don't know what to make of this party in a lot of ways.
2: Um, so basically, uh, Young throws an elaborate, Gala. what I will call, dinner party for the uh, emotionally vampiric.
1: <laughs> yeah, what we find out is that there's like a... <laughs> I think I might know some of them. Um, but what we find out is that there is a, like a weird... Network. Mm, social yeah, group. Yeah, like a
2: semi-underground network of these emotional vampires that sort of get together and have,
0: they have a very supper club. Mm-hmm.
2: weird dinner parties. yes, yeah, supper club. <laughs> um, and they sup on things that are more reminiscent of the dish that um, Jenny and Soyun had at this Japanese restaurant where it yes. is a crafted and prepared emotional dish as opposed to a raw consumption
0: okay mm-hmm. so let's start um, let's start going into Ico a little bit now because this is already starting to raise question. Ico. yeah because Ico and jimmy are catering this party as we find out okay
2: yes. skip to the end go ahead spencer
0: we can uh, we can go in order but you know let's mm-hmm. go in order it's,
2: fine. it's a couple of paragraphs down into
1: this <laughs> it's a short edition. story
0: <laughs> let's, let's go um, let's go in order. Uh,
2: but basically, Jenny is entranced by this party. Sure. And this is yes. very much like a... Um,
1: it's like her coming out party, really, to this group. Her cotillion. Yeah,
2: it, it, it's her coming out party, but it's also... It's like My Fair Lady.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it's in the, in, the, in the sense that it's a fake posed kind of thing. Sure,
2: it's a fake posed kind of thing, but it's it's very much like an introduction of an ingenue to... A depth and culture that she's not a part of, but trying to enter. I
1: mean, that's what I mean by a coming out party. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like a debutante ball,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. except (laughs) it's for one person. (laughs) Um, It's cotillion. Yeah.
2: Yeah. This is a very weird. For an individual.
1: It's a, how many, how many cultures? It's a quinceañera.
2: (laughs) Man, not, this g- is his, this is her <laughs> bat <botan laughs> into the. Right. This um, is
0: this
1: is a major cultural trope that we are dealing w- w- with.
0: What what did they call this in Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil when the when, when the black league was do, doing this for the young girls? Because you know it's that. Uh,
1: yeah, Catan. I don't know, but it, what, that's what it is. Yeah.
0: So they're doing that. And she's mm-hmm. mingling with the guests, checking out the food, becoming part of this community, going through the hideous dreams that adorn them like jewels. As she meets this various, very, very evocative about this story, and no. um, she recognizes somebody. But she
1: goes somebody. to talk to the caterers. Caterers, yeah.
0: She recognizes so, one. one of the caterers is Iko's coworker, uh, co-worker,
2: Jimmy. Yep, and and then then the shoe drops. Yes. Not even the other shoe, just the shoe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was only one shoe. There was only one shoe, but it was really big. Yeah. Um, And so Sooyeon basically has orchestrated that Aiko is there and is there when, when Jenny sort of finds out that sort of this whole thing has been orchestrated and has been going on for quite a while, that Aiko and Jimmy cater this ongoing, fairly regular party, and that she knew that Aiko was part of Jenny's life. And so I guess to me it's unclear as to whether like at what point Aiko and Jimmy started catering these parties, whether mm-hmm. that was specific to Jenny and this is much more of like a um and Spencer you're going to get you're going to win at this but like a Machiavellian uh machination mm. to basically put Jenny in this spot.
0: Yes and also no. In the sense that this seems to be a very conscious effort to season Jenny, for this particular moment, uh, seeming like again that she this is very much grooming her for food for this. But at the same time, she they, Jimmy takes pains to say that Iko has been at every one of these parties; that she is regularly part of this thing. That which again, the fact that they're catering, that they're making the food that we know is tailored for this particular audience. There's a lot of questions I have about the background of this character, Vico that now are being laid out and not answered. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, because I mean and and Jenny has the same question, which is like how much did how much does Aiko know? Yeah. Like who actually is she in this world? And spoiler, we never get that answer.
2: Mm-mm. We don't. The the story essentially ends with this coming to a head right. where yeah. Jenny and sees that Aiko's there, So Yun basically glories in the discomfort and unpleasant position that she's put jenny into
1: and seoyeon is like actively feeding off of aiko and planning on
2: feeding off jenny i would say
1: right the last
2: seasoning in the dish almost ready and jenny basically catches this sort of makes a scene uh seoyeon drops aiko confronts her and then they sort of do vampiric emotional battle that yeah we have
1: this sort of twilight battle that happens that is
2: probably i would say almost like the low point of the story but then is very quickly picked up with um Aiko breaking breaking them out of it which sort of continues within the mediocre trope but then jenny consumes so mm-hmm. two,
1: two
0: two little quick questions uh one have either of you seen the old science fiction film scanners no no no, it's it, there's a there's a, a head exploding gif that shows up on the internet that comes from that movie but watch, watch it sometime it's very mediocre but it, it the fight very much reminds <laughs> me of jenny. this it, it's a it's a b-side yeah. movie <laughs> the other thing that catches me is that the way that soo yun knew about jenny was that she saw her in aiko's thoughts mm-hmm. that yep again I saw you in her head, delicious as anything, and I knew I just had to have you. The number of questions that this little short story is raising about the Aiko character that they're just never going to bother answering
2: is just fascinating. Okay, so we'll get into it, but yeah. let's finish the plot because there isn't
1: too much <laughs> You left. mean the like sentence and a half we have yeah. left of the We plot. have a little bit more than
2: that, but basically <laughs> Jenny consumes Soyeon completely. Like mm-hmm. there's no body left. Same as her death. Yes. Sam is her dad and Aiko is in sort of a vegetative like state and so then we get I feel like the the realest glimpse into what is going on and and what Jenny is and what her mother is and what these people are that we ever get Mm -hmm. which is she starts to go through all of the things of Su Yun that she consumed to find Aiko.
1: Just any shred of her that she can give back to... Right,
2: to try and restore her Yep. so she's a person again.
1: And she explicitly says, like, she continues going back over the pieces to sort of desiccate them a little bit more because the smaller that the pieces are, the more likely that a shred of Aiko will kind of be reclaimable from um from the remnants
0: just to be clear on one point um that when she's pulling all these pots and pans it's to provide a storage device for her to throw up into right these are this the blackness that she's searching through is what she's essentially pulled out of Sayon and herself and now she's Mm -hmm. sifting through those various memories of those various victims to find aiko in there right
1: yeah so i think she's putting different bits in different pots and trying to kind of sort through it
0: find the slight the slightest memory of her friend
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and she, we essentially end the story with, not with sort of triumph, but with this sort of casting out of a promise that Jenny makes to Aiko to continue to Right.
0: Yeah. In some ways, offering the mirror reflection of that line earlier about, you know, how could I ever find that appealing or whatever else she exactly said, it ends with, how could I ever forget her? How could I ever forget her taste, her sense? something as awful and beautiful as home, Mm -hmm. um, And the story ends, and we are left with a variety of questions. Which ones would we like to start on?
1: Um, So my major question, and Spencer, you alluded to this earlier, is how how much does Aiko know? Slash, what is she? Yeah. Yeah, so I
2: think that that there's a line that we need to address in terms Mm -hmm. of that. And I will sort of also, like, I'm happy to give my opinion. Um, but the line that I think we need to address is how long did you know? Did you always know? And it's italicized like a... Memory. Like one of these statements of her victims. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is that Soyun that she ate? Or that is that part of a memory of Aiko that Soyun ate? Like, you know, where is that? But I guess the the theory that I have is that... Aiko is sort of all that is good in the world because she's essentially been tapped for any evil thoughts that she's had for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. So th- and
1: oh, that's interesting. Okay,
2: and so she's essentially the distillation of goodness in somebody that was probably, you know, reasonable. Just <laughs> yeah, you know, has some like you know evil inclinations or whatever, but. but also had this good side. And so maybe Yun and maybe a little bit without knowing it, Jenny, like somebody found her and like, I'm not a hundred percent sure who it was, but started feeding off of her, her evil parts because they found also something that was so good. And so they basically took, and, you know, this is for other people in our audience, not less so me, but they took like something sweet, like a pear or a carrot or something, and then <laughs> stewed it and added honey. Mm-hmm. And so it made it like even more what it is. This- and so, mm-hmm. go ahead,
0: Spencer. No, no, please, Spencer thought.
2: Oh, and-, and so it has become so much more of what it was at its essence which was a good, kind, and and sort of that shining beacon. Then she would have been otherwise.
0: This is this is one of the most interesting and difficult questions to assess about this book because this fundamental aspect of how this vampirism works is never clearly explained. We don't mm-hmm. know whether their act of drawing out these evil emotions actually leaves the person that they're taking from bereft of them in some way, taking out the evil of the world and consuming them in themselves and leaving whatever is left of that person behind we don't know whether that's how it works or not it's never clearly said because she never returns to her victims we know ne-
2: so mm-hmm. that is my assumption of how it works that whatever they take is taken Right. and so I would equate this with some very eastern philosophies that sharp things are not good per se mm-hmm. um, and Go towards their Buddhist beliefs that things that are spicy and sharp and things like that are things that you should avoid, um, and and the equating of evil with spicy and uh, sour and and sharp in general, and so my assumption is they 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 are emotional vampires and they could take goodness which would be sweet and things sort of of that nature but they've been taught not to because because then you're leaving the evil in the world uh-huh. and it's also like a very different dish and maybe they do it as dessert and like whatever else we can maybe not on this podcast but talk <laughs> about the um essential cuisine of emotional vampires as it relates <laughs> to food and pertains to eastern philosophy but
1: but as it, you know yeah
2: As it more pertains to the story, that's sort of how like I look at it because she very much references like the goodness of Naiko as something that is enticing. Mm -hmm.
1: That she wants that, yeah, because it it goes back kind of to both the question that we had asked at the beginning of this podcast as well as to this fundamental difference between Jenny's mother's philosophy that she has imbued into Jenny um, and Siu Yun's philosophy. Um, that have very different approaches. And, and my, my sort of understanding of the crafted cuisine of Siyun's dinner parties, and the way that she has her catering staff prepare food, is that this is a balance of the evil and the within people. That she has decided that no, it is not some sort of moral or ethical thing to feed for survival on the evil thoughts of people. Um, And maybe you will find someone who is so evil that you essentially suck them dry simply because there is not that much good in them. But that I am crafting something that is pleasurable to me. And that is going to include both sides. Right. And I Mm -hmm. I think
0: even the initial description of these kind of slices of whatever else presented towards at the restaurant, the fact she describes it as gasoline, malice, and childish joy. That's the first time we've ever heard a positive emotion in any way described, uh, connected with the... Second. Second time? Yep. When was the first time?
2: Uh, when she ate Baba.
0: True, in terms of the full memories of him going through that. That's correct. That's because it. she ate
1: up everything. Yeah. That's a
0: good that's a that's a good connection there. But this kind of conception is different than what we've previously heard from Jenny and her her mom talk about, about what is normally stored in a way in their jars. And so I agree. This is a kind of blending together of the whole of a person of the whole of their memories, of artistically piecing out the key enticing bits that is very different. Um so yeah, there's definitely an element of that going there.
2: Yeah, I I want to know what they dessert. <laughs> <laughs> a cheese platter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was for dessert? No, it's just cheese. Very nice crackers, though. <laughs> you need to appreciate all the food groups. The best of the evil childish joy and also a wonderful brie.
1: So oh okay. yeah, what is the the um oh god the food pyramid for yeah. emotional oh, vampirism?
2: <laughs> well, but but I feel like I think that we get some sense like. You know a lot of the more um pungent flavors and 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 meaty sustaining things are the evil things and the sweet things are the good things what's mashed potatoes what what would a midwestern hot dish be um
1: as a midwesterner i can comment on this bj and midwestern hot dishes are entirely composed of passive aggression <laughs> <laughs> Passive
2: aggression and good deeds done so everybody else knows about it.
1: Yes. Good deeds done and posting on Facebook. That is... Oh,
0: this can be fun to ponder out here.
1: The essence of our cuisine. (laughs) This is my cultural heritage right here. I
2: I feel like we need to have, like, you know, on New Year's when we get together, like, you know, a a meal that we eat together that that we ascribe the different emotions that embody that dish... And, you know, yes. the different uh, emotional traits that, that we're uh, taking in with emotional vampirism and how they relate to the, the dish that we're eating.
1: Maybe we can put little speech bubble shaped thoughts stuck into each one as <laughs> <laughs> you're,
0: you're I like it. Here's a question about, about Ico. Um, if we're assuming that these aren't just, these people aren't just walking devil's traps, walking Lilith balls, where all they can, can do is consume evil, where they can actually select essentially what emotions mm-hmm. they want to draw. If we're thinking that Aiko has been drawn from a great deal, um, why then has only the negative emotion been pulled out of her? Why has she been only left then with this positive, with this radiant radiant purity of a person, if Sun Yu is making an art of drawing out whatever she wishes out of peace?
1: So I would argue that this because in the drawing out of Aiko, um, Seo Yun saw Jenny um, and decided early on to use her as a sort of honeypot.
2: So I would guess I like I 100% agree with you, but I would also guess that um, Jenny drew from Aiko when their relationship was slightly different previously when Aiko met her mother or something Mm -hmm. and either her mother started it or something like that, where Aiko was essentially a good person, but with some evil thoughts that were drawn out at some point by igo's or Jenny's mother Jenny or um, somebody else that like we see we don't get but is off screen and that's how basically she's this enticing fruit the entire
1: time you know yeah I think that I mean that might be true I don't I don't necessarily Jenny might have been drawing for her from her but then I I believe that we would have to have some sort of like explanation for an ambient drawing I don't think that we have Evidence that Jenny was actively drawing evil thoughts from her.
2: So I think the the thing that the reason that I sort of have that is like my read of Jenny's parents is that her mother drew on her father, mm-hmm. and then at some point because she was drawing the evil out of her father, but like in doses, but her father did something that she found super evil and just terrible. She like, out, yeah she lashed out and then consumed him mm-hmm. because if so either she was doing it on a regular basis or this was just like a freak thing that it's like oh god he did something that kind of terrible and so i just sucked him dry at that point um but i guess i interpreted it as like she was sort. she sort of feeds off everybody around like all of their evil thoughts and some are better than others and so that's sort of where I got the, it's just sort of a general thing at that point. And there there are ones that are more sustaining than others and ones that like affect the the person that takes them in more than
1: others. Yeah, that might, I mean, that might be true. I, I read, are you talking about Jenny or her mother?
2: Uh, both. Or both, yeah, yeah. More, more her mother, but okay. that's how I sort of read how Jenny does things.
1: See, I, I, I certainly read that in her mother, but it, my reading is that was that Jenny is specifically using this sort of like a platform of online dating to sort of contain her feeding off of people mm-hmm. um, to specific discrete instances.
0: If, if we're correct about our assumption that we're working under that she is actually taking these emotions from people and that they can be permanently altered as a result if we're right in our interpretation of Ico. She's been substantially improving the crop of college students that are found at the local university. I would say,
2: <laughs> or killing them, or, like well, tomato. Yeah, you know,
0: I, I tomato, will say tomato. though,
1: and I had not thought about this because I was, I was just speaking to sort of Jenny and her use of online dating as a, as a like clear means of whether she is doing any sort of ambient drawing on people outside of that or not. It is interesting that when we first meet her mother she is bathed in the glow of her laptop light yeah
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, um and so like what in that situation might she be using a laptop for
0: it's kind of strongly implied that she hasn't necessarily stopped that she markets her i don't think she can yeah that she's market marketing her daughter coming home with well there's lots of tong around here mm-hmm. um and so yeah between that and the laptop she's still active it's just in a much obviously more discreet, less flashy kind of way than maybe your daughter is, or certainly than Soon-Yoon is. Um, all right. Uh, what else would you like to ask? What, what other questions would we like to mill over?
2: I mean, I sort of have many and none. <laughs> I mean, well, not, not yeah. that I have none, but like I, I like I probably could... T- I think this is a very good, modern... I, I don't know that I'd even call it horror, but I guess it is.
1: I was scared, BJ, when you first suggested this story and sort of suggested it as a horror story. Like, I can't deal with horror. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't deal... I I, I just can't... I don't watch horror movies. I don't like scary stories. Um, I gave a ghost tour this weekend and, like, it was remarkably unscary because I can't do that kind of research. (laughs) Um, And I can't walk around in the dark with people and talk about it in that way. Uh, But this while decidedly unsettling in some ways, did not hit that trigger for me where I had to put it down and say, no, I can't do this. Mm. And I don't know what it is about it necessarily. Maybe it's the sort of decidedly fantasy aspect of it Um, because what what really gets me are sort of like urban legends. Um, and that sort of like vague. Well, this could happen. So this
0: is this is <laughs> distance enough from reality. It's more further grounded in the kind of magical world yeah. that it it doesn't threaten you and you you and yours just as much.
1: No, I think okay. <laughs> I'm also not on Tinder, so maybe that's <laughs> <laughs>
0: safely insulated from these emotional vampires out there, literal and literal and allegorical. <laughs> I mean...
1: Unless Terry turns out to be something I wasn't expecting, (laughs) I think I'm okay.
0: (laughs) Have you noticed that your fridge is just full of random black jars?
1: We we do have a lot of condiments.
0: Ah, yes. The condiments that, quote unquote, no one ever touches that sit in the fridge, sure.
2: I I was going to say, also, like, the random boxes of of takeaway that just sort of appear in extremely (laughs) large quantities, like... So, so when when your husband brings home very unique dishes from from places that you may or may not be familiar of, do they taste a little bit of you know like child abuse or or, despair? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, or or despair or something. You know,
0: when 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 uh, he says where these various places come from, are they always individual proper nouns that he says these restaurants are?
2: Are, are (laughs) This is Ricardo's. (laughs) Interesting dishes that he's come home with after he's been abroad with his work. Mm. Um,
1: you know, uh, we eat a lot of lingua tacos. Okay. Interesting.
0: Man, what what, what, what do lingua tacos represent in terms of the emotion that, that would be?
1: That is a question for New Year's yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I,
2: I think that would be very much the... Uh, Gossiping and talking <laughs> oh, poorly yes. behind somebody's Very back, so. um, right. mm-hmm. but I feel like that's that's just you know laziness on my part.
0: Um, <laughs> qu- qu- uh, do you have another question, BJ? Because I do have w- uh, one more on my list.
2: Um, I think the, well, the only one that I really have is what is wrong with people that they don't understand the story. I feel like. It's like, yes, there are some undercurrents and there are some open questions. And we can talk about like Aiko and and our theories for a very long time. But like, as a story, I feel like it's fairly straightforward.
1: I would posit that that type of comment comes from people who want like a less story
2: or i think well i guess the the best answer that i can come up with and and spencer i will throw it to you as well is that they were expecting the story that you and i sarah expected when we read the first quote that chapter vigilante or justice whatever. Mm-hmm. yeah that this the was going to be justice. a
1: sort of revenge narrative or something like that and we were going yeah. to get some sort of tidy ending about all of these wrongs were done, women or cultural minority, like whoever it is, right? Right, <laughs> that exactly. That these were going to be avenged and corrected. Yeah, that is not the story we no. got. And so I, I think you're right. I think that kind of in, in speaking to a lesson or a tidy, tidy in, um, this story had an interesting twist in being set up like that and then completely something different that I imagine that there are people in the world who were having those expectations and couldn't quite shift from those expectations um it felt unfulfilled uh,
0: yeah and I, and I think another element of it too and this is part of the element of my appreciation of the story but sign of element of confusion attached to it too is i get the plot the plot is straightforward enough but the story is written in a way that it's bringing various genres various styles various focuses and a massive amount of ambiguity that you kind of want to presume that it's metaphorical or allegorical of something else That it's Mm -hmm. making a statement about something, and I read it in that light and had no clear conclusions what that might be or whether that is even what the author intended, and that left me in a kind of confused state at the end of the story. Of where I'm not necessarily sure there was supposed to be a message, but I was under the assumption that this was meant to represent something, and I, I mean, Mm -hmm.
2: I was going to say I feel like there are messages that like you could put to it that are very reasonable. But I think the open-endedness allows for a broader audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and a sort of myriad of interpretations where you can latch onto one of those particular stories that it's telling and choose to really care about that. I mean, in a lot of ways, this is um, a story about consumption. Mm-hmm. This is a story about home. This is a story about the connections we have with our family. This is a love story. This is a story of abuse. Like, there are all of these types of things that are getting tied into it that don't necessarily, that are not overriding in some sort of statement about what is going on, sure. but that leave these sort of evocative, trailing, writhing <laughs> thoughts. Yeah. and <laughs> Moving I, out into wor- the world like a mantle over one's shoulder. <laughs> and
2: I think that the author does an incredibly good job of tying together a very feminine Mm -hmm. asian american narrative together without enforcing that the reader be any one of those to appreciate many things about the
0: story Mm -hmm. yeah Uh,
1: and i am sorry spencer i was just gonna say one thing i am just floored by how much was packed into this relatively short story.
0: Yeah, that that is the most surprising thing to me, of where this is not a long tale. We've read some longer short stories, we've read some shorter ones, but I don't know if we've read one that is so densely diverse as this one is, Mm -hmm. of where Mm -hmm. there are so many different thoughts, there are so many different themes, there are so many interesting explorations, while at the same time there are so many gaps thrown around it. I mean, it's just so interesting to see a story that has so many conscious absences while still being so full. I, it's a very unique read in that regard. I'm not sure if I've ever seen something that is so densely packed without in any way being tiring. I was
2: going to say, I, th- I think that the really good short stories that we've read have been in some ways very similar. Mm-hmm. And we're getting to about the same length that we got with Shian Names Them. Yep, that was
0: one that came to mind.
2: <laughs> and, um... And another, like, I think there are some Asimov stories that, in some ways, are very similar, with a lot is sort of left up to the reader, and there are major touchstones that can be very personal to you or that you're vaguely familiar with, and you still get a lot out of the story. Mm -hmm.
0: Mark of a quality story.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, I said this is Asian American, but it's very Chinese. And so I think that there are very very specific things to that in here. And I don't think and and what I think is really impressive about it is you don't need to know anything about that to appreciate the story. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, because it's also very American. Yes. Right? Like this tale of consumption um it, and this tale of sort of uh emotional whatever. It's and it's very and this- yeah, feminine. the story of, of New York as well uh, right. is it's all very, very American York, too. Yeah.
2: It's incredibly modern. It's incredibly, mm-hmm. you know, it, it has, if you can relate to current things, if you can relate to, you know, any feminine side of things, any dating side of things, any any of those things, you get something out of the story. And mm-hmm. then there are layers.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so. Any other layers that we want to discuss tonight? No, I think it's a really good point to end on. Okay. Uh, BJ, if our listeners are hungry for more content,
2: um, you can sample any of our uh, terrible emotions on MangumTalks.com. Um, we have quite a variety of podcasts. Some are a little bit more blue than others. Um, <laughs> there is Mangum Talks TV, which is currently going through succession. There is Whiskey on the Weekend. Um, where a bunch of us drink a bunch of whiskey and try and solve the world's problems or just tell funny things about ourselves. Um, It's about a 50-50. There is also our Pottercast within a podcast, Pottering Around, which is Mangum Raids. And then there is something a little bit more lighthearted with Mangum Laughs that comes out on probably the second most irregular basis. And then um, when we kick out basketball to its own little corner of the world from whiskey on the weekend, there is Mingham Hoops, which um, happens sometimes. Um, and if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, we have a contact us button in the upper right hand corner of our website, and I promise you that somebody will read it, might respond, and take anything you that you say under consideration, and may pepper it into a delectable meal in the future
1: and uh if you are a user of yelp you can transfer those skills and rate and review us on apple itunes or stitcher or wherever you find this podcast and that helps us move up the charts
0: we we have fully descended into extended (laughs) metaphor ourselves now
1: yeah i don't know this is getting a little tortured let's close out here guys (laughs)
0: Well, but I had a blast with this episode uh, for next week. Uh, BJ, we are reading another short story, are we not?
2: We are reading a short story. We have... Um, the yellow wallpaper.
1: Yes. We are going classic with our horror.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, and um, I feel like there should be some sort of warning for our readers, but I don't really know what it is um, because I found this short story on the nih website and that (laughs) brings up a whole other can of worms for me Mm -hmm. so
0: yeah
1: there um, are a lot of things going on here so i don't know be warned yes be forewarned. (laughs) i'm very
2: excited to do that and that that will be our next episode
0: all right so everyone you can find a copy of the yellow wallpaper online uh bj i believe you probably did you probably post a link actually on our website where people can find it or
2: um yeah i posted it and i'll probably post it again um uh so yeah our nod to uh the hallowed eve of uh the end of october we're doing some
0: horror well we hope our listeners have a wonderful halloween and read along with us and we will delight in talking about it with you come next week have a great week have a great evening y'all